Here we go. Hey, family. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, again, for those of you who don't know me, uh, Corey, I'm the pastor of outreach and evangelism. Really good to be here. Excited about the series, week two of this or week one. I'm not sure which one it is, but we're going for the names of Jesus. This is going to be a, a moment for us to take the, the diamond that is Jesus Christ and, and what the Bible calls him and turn it each week. Just to get a, a different perspective, to see who this Jesus is, who not just we want him to be, but who he really is, and how that is designed to form us and shape us and mold us and, and gradually move us into the image of the one that we're looking at, treasuring. That's, that's the goal of this. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to go to Matthew chapter 1. And uh, we're going to start in verse 20, go to verse 21, and then skip down to verse 24 and 25. This is what the word says. But as he considered these things, being Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. I'd like to title this, Jesus the Great Disruptor. And I want to talk about three things. His disruptive name, his disruptive mission, and the disruptive people that he wants us to be. Jesus, the Great Disruptor. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask that you would shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. We love you. Amen. Have you noticed that we live in an airbrushed world? <laughs> I actually did this this week. I looked up the top apps for selfies. Now, I didn't realize this, but there is a whole genre of selfie apps that help you airbrush yourself. I'll, I'll identify a few of them. Uh, and if you have these on your phone, just turn your phone over. Nobody needs to see that. Facetune apparently removes wrinkles. The skinny pics. Uh, it takes 15 pounds off. Didn't know that. The golden beauty meter, it scans your picture and gives you a score. That's nice. Encouraging. Uh, the beauty plus, it gets rid of your acne. Uh, my favorite, photo wonder, which promises to make your eyes bigger. Because you know what a Bendix needs is bigger eyes. Uh... But I think out of all of the things that have been airbrushed in our society, there's nothing that has been more airbrushed than Jesus and his name. 
It's been sanitized. It has snowy backgrounds. It is, it's become, we have taken this name and created it in our, in the image and the likeness that we want. We want it to be what we want it to be. And if I think when I think of, of Jesus in our culture, it's synonymous with a couple of things. It's synonymous with acceptance, that Jesus accepts us for who we are. Synonymous for a Jesus that loves all people. It's a synonymous for success. He wants to help me be successful in whatever I do. It's synonymous for morality. He wants to help me just do the right thing. I think what we've done in our society is that we would rather have a life coach than a life giver. We would rather have a counselor over a champion. And from, from the very beginning of the name of, of Jesus, we, we have this, this collision course of, of the person and work of Jesus that disrupts. You see, even in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Like when we see Jesus, I think we see him a little bit differently than the way that God himself sees him. So the the purpose as we get into this series, the purpose is yes, to see Jesus in the way that he's designed to be seen. But we have to see with the name of Jesus, what does that even mean? What does that look like? And when, when you think of the name Jesus in the first century, this was a very normal name. Uh, the first century Jewish scholar Josephus said that he knew 12 Jesuses, four of which were high priests. In, in, the, in the New Testament, I mean, we find a, a bar Jesus in Acts 9. We find uh, a Jesus in Colossians 4. Even uh, the person who was released, the robber, was bar Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus Barabbas, which is translated Jesus, the son of the father. And the idea of Jesus is Yahweh saves. And all of the Jesuses that were named were named after the ultimate Jesus in the Old Testament, which would be Joshua. That what Joshua represented would be one that would come into this narrative, this story of, of God and the rescuing of God's people and would deliver them into a promised land. And what Matthew is communicating to us is there's a new Jesus. There's a new Joshua, a better Joshua. And his purpose is that he is going to deliver us into the promised land, namely our relationship with God being restored. That this was the ultimate plan of Jesus. And the way that he would do that was by removing or or being the one that would take our sins away. But from the very beginning, what we find is one specific commonality. And that is that every time you see Jesus' name popping up, it's always disrupting things. It's a name that disrupts. You see it in Mary and Joseph. Mary and Jojo, they got a life that they're about to have. Like they, they've got this like, like life that is that is everything that you would dream for it to be. 
It's a life built on comfort. It's going to be a life that is just convenient. It's going to be a life that is built on family. And when Jesus enters into their story, what happens? Dreams are disrupted. Public image is disrupted. You have comfort that is disrupted. It becomes unstable in their income, in their life. How could Jesus do that? What if we're staring at a, at a Jesus that needs to be replaced with the real one? See, what we find in the story of Mary and Joseph is that favor from God doesn't always mean or necessitate favors from God. What we find in favor is that often it brings us into disruption. We find the cultural systems. When Jesus shows up into the cultural systems of this day, all of a sudden they are disrupted for real. I mean, even the idea that you were you, like you were saved by a baby? Like how is a baby with a, an unsure husband and a 17 or 18 year old wife going to overthrow the greatest superpower the world has ever known? And, and beyond that, you've got a cultural system in the Jewish culture that you weren't saved by a baby, you were saved by the system. You were saved by the temple. And within the, the, the temple is priesthood. And within the priesthood is sacrificial systems. And then you've got a redemptive calendar. Like all the power belonged to the system. You weren't saved by a baby. You were saved by, by a system that now enabled you to get God. And what does Jesus do? When Jesus shows up, he disrupts the system. He turns it on its head. I mean, he literally does that when he steps into the temple and starts like flinging tables. He disrupts. Not to mention Herod and his kingdom. Everything was disrupted. This baby posed a threat to Herod's reign and rule. They didn't even realize that a baby would be the Lord of the whole world. And that baby is right there in front of him. In fact, you find this reality of Herod being threatened because he does what? He kills babies. Why? Because he's disrupted. He's challenged. He is that, that, that the idea of this Jesus, what, he could feel it. He could sense it because this is what Jesus does. The name of Jesus disrupts. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this. We have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. This name disrupts. Disrupts. I mean, we understand this idea. I mean, we, for those of you men who, get, who got married, who, when you get married, you don't realize that you're stepping into a, a relationship that is going to disrupt everything. I mean, your idea of cleanliness disrupted. Your idea of diet disrupted. Your idea of free time disrupted. 
it is something like you enter into to one thing, but you don't realize what you're getting. You're stepping into a whole different world. Now, I love my, like, everything, you didn't disrupt me. I, I love you. I got to go home with you. Nothing was disrupted. Nothing. So we understand, we understand what it looks like to enter into something and not realize that what you're stepping into, there's a whole nother world that's about to happen that is for your good. It's for your good. And so when I talk about a name that disrupts, I'm talking about a name that disrupts the power of evil, that awakens the apathetic, that now softens the prideful, brings them to their knees. This is what this name does. But what does it look like to have a name that is disruptive? It has to, what, what this text is saying that it, with Jesus, he has a disruptive mission to save his people from their sins. How does a disruptive mission? You see, I think that Satan's ultimate mission, I think it's pretty simple. It's not to make you some serious sinner. It's to try to get you to drift with the cultural current. It really is. It's, I, I mean, I, I tell the story of, of being in Florida with, with my kids and Florida uh, waves are surprisingly strong. You go out, you set up shop, you go out and you're playing with your kids and you don't realize it, but there's a slow, steady pull that you don't even, it's so slight, but it's so constant. You, you stop 30 minutes later and you're like a quarter of a mile down the 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 way from where you started shop, like from where you started the whole, whole experience, it, there's a constant steady pull. I really believe this is like the satanic game plan. The primary goal and strategy is, to go, is to, for you to just go along with it. To go along with individual consumerism, with the curated feeds that have been created just for you, to go along with it. And if you are, if you can sit here and go, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm at peace with the earth. I'm at peace with the world. I'm good. Then you're probably getting swept away. Love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Everything is trying to get us to just buy into success and security and sell out for it. Little do we realize we're getting pulled in. And what does Jesus do? Jesus enters into this reality called earth. And and in Jesus, his whole purpose is to wake up people. It's to wake us up from our self-centeredness. It's to wake us up from our death. Like he wants to, he comes to the people who acknowledge their, their, their death and now he's resisting those who think that they're alive. That what you have in Jesus is he eats with the wrong people. Tax collectors and sinners. He, he includes the wrong people, namely women. He's waging war on the religious system. He's blurring the lines of who's in and who's out. And, and what you have in Jesus in this mission is it's a twofold mission. You see, in, in, there's atonement theories that are out there. There's, I think, seven of them. But the ones that I love the most, the ones I gravitate towards the, the most, I've, I feel like we see those in the text of what Jesus came to do in his mission, which to save his people 
from their sins. What you have in Jesus when it comes to his mission, he came to be a substitute and to get victory. Substitute and victory. Substitute, like this is, he came to save his people by becoming one of them. I mean, even like the whole idea of, of Luke 19.10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. How? This is the story of Zacchaeus. He goes up, a that was, with Zacchaeus, he's up this tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Why does he tell Zacchaeus to come down? Because in a matter of about five to seven days, Jesus would be going up a tree. He trades places. You have in Jesus, he came to seek and to save the lost by what? By becoming one of them so he could substitute himself for them. I mean, we know the verse. It's for God made Christ who never sinned to be sin, to be a sin offering for each of us so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. That this is the hope that we have in the mission of God in Jesus Christ. He came as one who is simply a substitute. But then along with that, he came to, to save us from our, our sins. By doing what? By attaining victory. How does he do this? Is it in, in stories like in John chapter 11 and Luke chapter 10, where he, faced, he has a head-on collision with death. And what does he do with death? He reaches down in the buyer in Luke 10 and he touches a dead man. He touches him. What's he saying in this moment? He's saying, I, that death is not contaminating me. I'm contaminating death. That death is not going to have victory over me. But in Jesus Christ, you have one who has victory over death. This is his mission. This is his calling. This is why he came to the earth. That he is committed to disrupting that which has been disrupting humanity from the very beginning, which is death. This is what we can, in, in a simplified way, this is how we can understand who Jesus Christ is. And you would think that this is a fragile mission, but in all reality, it's anti-fragile. I love what the economist philosopher Nassim Tlaib, he, he gives this, this idea of anti-fragile, that in this mission of Jesus as a substitute, as the victor, not to come and take control and power up, but by submitting, surrendering, and serving. And in this mission, you would think, and even he concludes the mission by dying. Well, like that's, an, that, that's a fragile mission. But what Talib says about this idea being anti-fragile, it's, it's how you build something that not only doesn't break when things get hard, but gets stronger or better. It's, it's, it's this idea of the hydra. The more you cut it off, the stronger it gets. I mean, this is what you have in the mission of Jesus. And it's, it's unpacked beautifully in the life and the story of Henrietta Lacks. She's a common woman. Died in 1951. She died of ovarian cancer. She had five kids. She died in Baltimore. And you might know her initials. H-E-L-A. It's the first body that researchers could continuously harvest cells. That, that some called her cells, they turned out to have an extraordinary capacity to survive and reproduce. 
they were in essence immortal. And so out of one woman's death came the cure for polio, research on cancer, immunology, infectious diseases, and even 70 years later, we used her cells to help find a cure for COVID-19. This is a woman who in her death brought life. In her death, life. What is this Jesus? What's his mission? Is that in his anti-fragile purpose, we're headstrong with you at the center. And he is willing to sacrifice and surrender by becoming one of us, attaining victory in order that in his death, now we could ultimately have life. Now, the reality of this, of, of, of this mission, man, it, it has changed lives no greater than the life of Paul, who in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is what he says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see, Paul could never get past the fact that this Jesus and his life and his victory, it has, it has worked on me. It has cleansed my past and I can't get over it. Like I, st I still can't, I'm speechless as I look at the, at the cascade of sin in my life, the impact of my past, the, the wreckage of my existence and the sacrifice of Jesus, a better Henrietta Lacks speaking to my past and awakening who I am designed to be in Jesus Christ and his love being poured out. He couldn't ever get past it. I wonder, is this, is this mission of Jesus, is it commonplace of what he's done in your life? Have you, have you graduated past it? When's the last time you thought about who you used to be? When's the last time that you remembered the victory that he has bought and has, is committed to giving you? When's, when's the last time that you remembered not, not being morose, but going back and going, I remember who I used to be. I remember how I used to operate with people. I remember how I used to act at my job. I remember how, I, how, how my mind worked. It was warped. It was twisted. It was poisonous. When's the last time that this disruptive mission has caused you to remember what it disrupted you out of? Paul couldn't get past it. Why? Because it's a disruptive mission. But see, what I love about this story is that it makes a disruptive people. Now, just go with me on this because that sounds a little bit aggressive, but let me, let me unpack it. In the story of Joseph, this is what we find that, that he does. He simply says, and he named him Jesus. He simply... What I love about the story of Joseph is that he never speaks, but his obedience speaks for him. Not one word from Joseph. Not a word. But what we find in this man is that, as Frederick Buechner says, 
he lived in the miraculous ordinary. The space of, of that we, we, we live in the miraculous of, of this. And it's, it's this tension between breakthrough, 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 and then a God who you go to church, but you don't expect anything from him. It's this tension between, between this, uh, uh, the, the hope of a faith that's real, it's alive, it's, it's active. We, we serve a God who is resurrected. It is a miraculous faith that we are engaged in. It, it, is, it is an ongoing expectation without agenda. We can have an expectation of everything that God is, that he wants to do that with us, with me, and yet there's no agenda. I'm not going to push anything on them. I'm going to live with expectation, and as a result, I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to give with generosity, but at the same time, I'm not pushing my agenda on my God. It's a miraculous life, but at the same time, it's ordinary. In the life of Joseph, you have an ordinary man who's living an ordinary life, and in this moment, he just simply makes an, a decision, small but powerful decision that is miraculous, miraculously ordinary. He just simply puts the name of Jesus and he, he puts it on this child. And from that point forward, that was the role of a, of a father. Authority came from the father. It was his right. It was his responsibility. And he agrees with God by naming what God wanted to name from the beginning. But it's miraculously ordinary. And I, I, I think for me, I think this is where I am excited to see how God wants to disrupt my day. And my life because he wants to be miraculously act, active and ongoing in the ordinary things of life. And we, we, see, we, we, we see this whole idea unpacked in, in a quote here by C.S. Lewis. He says this, enemy occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I mean, you, you, even the life of Paul, you see this unpacked in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is, he, he receives this, this miraculous moment of, of seeing Jesus and he says, why are you kicking against the goads? And then what is Jesus say to Ananias, he says that this is my chosen instrument who must bear my name for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I mean, in that DNA in first, in the first century, in the process of forming a, a pot, what you would do, if it was something that was your crown jewel, what you would do is you would put your initials at the bottom. What God is saying in Jesus to Paul is that to Saul, he's saying that you are going to bear my name. And as you are miraculously ordinary, going about your day, going about your business, my name through you is going to now do a miraculous work to bring a disruption 
through grace, through his name, everywhere you go. So you see in Acts 16, he's going about, he has this girl who's chasing him down, who's prophesying, she's demon-possessed, and what does he do? He just stops as he's going about his business, as he's going about the ordinary. He stops, and he looks and says, in the name of Jesus, come out. The name had marked him for him to now deliver the name to people who needed it. How? In the miraculous ordinary. Close with this. Recently, I watched a movie called The Hidden Life. It is a um, Terrence Malick film about an, an Austrian conscientious objector. His name is Franz Jagerstatter. He lived in the Alps in the 1930s. He had a beautiful wife, three kids. Um, he was asked to swear an oath of loyalty to Hitler, uh, and if he didn't, he would face imprisonment. He tried. He tried to serve as a medic, tried to figure out a way to be a chaplain. It was during this process that he discovered the mission of Jesus. He had been marked by this name. He carried it with him. and he, he realized something had to change. He couldn't he couldn't take the allegiance of Adolf Hitler when he had his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And it was in the ordinary, the miraculous ordinary moments of him discovering Jesus, discovering this name, and discovering this moment where he realized he had to do something. And even like around him, there was a local priest and this local priest said that God doesn't care about what you say with your mouth. He only cares about what's in your heart. There's so much pressure to compromise. And at, towards the end of the movie, there's this moment with another, um, with a, a German soldier. And the soldier is conversing, going back and forth. And Franz says this, a man worth anything has only one thing to consider, whether he is acting rightly or wrongly. And the response of this man said this, do you imagine that anything you do will change the course of this war? That anyone outside of this court will ever hear of you? No one will be changed. The world will go on as before. You'll vanish. And then the next scene was that he was beheaded and he died. And I, I'm telling you, this is the cultural moment that we're in where we have everyone saying, what's the point? Stay silent. Don't do anything. It doesn't matter anyways. There's pressure for us to neglect and to reject the name. There's pressure, overwhelmingly so, to get us to just go about the drift of the world and say, everything is okay. There is nothing about this name that I want to now acclimate my life and reorient me around it. And yet time over time, what happened with Franz is that the world found out about his story. And years later, there became a memorial in Berlin declaring his heroism, acknowledging what he did, that get, getting to a place where, it, where, where the focus was so fascinating that now the Catholic Church, they, they now took him and made him like 
they made him a martyr. It was an acknowledgement that what he was doing, he was simply living into and for this, this name, this name of Jesus. I'll close with this quote, Thomas Merton. He says this, and sooner or later, if we follow Christ, we have to risk everything in order to gain everything. We have to gamble on the invisible and risk all that we can see and taste and feel. But we know the risk is worth it because there is nothing more insecure than this transient world. What are you going to do with the name? What are you going to do with it? Would you rather have a life coach or therapist? What is this disruptive name? What is it doing in our hearts even now? Is it causing us to to now bring into line and to now unravel the, the, the yarn of confusion that has been twisted in our mind of, Oh, that's the reason that you, that all of this has been happening. God, you're trying to disrupt my world because you love me. Like you're, you're disrupting my relationships because you want me. You're, you're, you're disrupting my family. You're causing me to come to a place of just halt and stand still. Why? Because you want me. You want to form me. You want to fashion me. For some of us, we were hearing this disruptive mission and we've never responded to that mission. We've never gone, no, no, Jesus did. He, he lived and he died for my sin and I want to repent of my sin. But for some of us, we're like, God, I, I want you to make me a disruptive person that simply holds out the grace and the hope that is found in the disruptor himself, who's Jesus, who, who came to, to fight and to, to now reject sin through temptation and now acknowledge that, that he exists for the Father, but then now he holds out hope and power and purpose for those who just say yes to him. He wants to make us a disruptive people. So Jesus, we ask that even in this moment that you would speak to us and reorder our lives around you. If you're, if you're here and, and that piece about salvation, about surrendering to Jesus, if that's you, I just sense that there is a couple of people who this is a moment for you to surrender to the real Jesus, not the Jesus you want him to be, but the Jesus that he actually is, who, who, who loves you, who has traded, who has now exchanged all that he is for all that you are. It's time to make this exchange. If that's you, and you, are, you, you acknowledge it's time for me to surrender to Jesus once and for all, never to go back. If that's you, just raise your hand. Yeah, great. Just acknowledge, just if you could f- follow me with this heart, heart cry, with this prayer, just say, Jesus Christ, I surrender. I give you all of me for all of you. I acknowledge that, that you made me for yourself. I've rebelled against you. You've given your life so that I could now surrender to you, not as just Savior, but as Lord. That you're coming back again to restore not just me, but the whole world. I surrender to you afresh. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. It's an honor to be able to discover your name, the great disruptor.
In your name we pray. Amen.